Um, as you all, all know, we're spending kind of these first few weeks just kind of going through um, kind of who we are as a church. What do we believe? Why do we believe it? You know, those are important questions. What makes Redemption Hill Church different from, you know, the church down the street, right? Um, why do we plant this church to begin with? So uh, hope, hopefully you've benefited um, from the previous, the first three messages. Uh, today, I'm going to be talking about eldership at Redemption Hill Church. And again, this is another topic where you go to several churches down the street and it's going to look different, <laughs> right? Elders, some, some churches have elders, some churches have pastors and deacons. Some churches don't have pastors or deacons. Everyone's kind of a, a, a an elder, but unofficially an elder, you know. And then you got liturgical faiths, which, faiths, which use the word like bishop, right? What's that? Cardinal, right? Po- I mean, I'm not trying to make light of it. I'm just saying there's just a variety out there. And so I think it is a good question to ask, well, what do we believe about what we call church polity? Uh, what, will, what, will, what will this church end up looking like in terms of leadership in a local church? So I'm going to tease that out this morning. And I want to, I want to begin by talking about um, a piece of church history to kind of lead us into the, into the message this morning. Um, Lucas Cranich was a Renaissance paint, excuse me, painter and printmaker from the 16th century. Um, you might not know the name Lucas Cranich, but Cranich lived during a time, during the same time in the same town as Martin Luther. Probably most of you have heard of Martin Luther. Well, at the chapel where Luther preached in Wittenberg, uh, Cranich painted this altarpiece. Now, if you grew up in a liturgical faith, you realize like an altar is like the center of the church up on the stage, just where they have their communions, where they celebrate communions. It's, it's the center of the church, in, like the Catholic church and Lutheran church and some other churches. Well, in this, right behind this altar is this painting, right? And, and Cranich paints it, and the painting is fascinating. It, what we see in the painting is Luther preaching from the pulpit to a group of people. Luther over here, and you have the people over here. Be like, like right now, I'm preaching, and you got people over here. And in the middle, this painting between Luther and the people is the crucifixion. It's the crucifixion of Christ. The painting was evidently, evidently intended to show that worship centers on the preaching of Christ crucified. The people see not the preacher, but they see Christ. Conversely, another emphasis from the painting can be the preacher needs to be preaching Christ. And by preaching Christ, the preacher feeds the people with the word of Christ. In the painting, Luther's holding his his Bible as he's preaching. The painting is such a powerful reminder to me that is now a picture on my computer desktop, you know. When I think about what it means to be a pastor, uh, one of my top priorities is to point you to Jesus. These days, it's easy to get cute. <laughs> Try to be exciting and hip and whatever. And I'm, I, Maybe I'm exciting, maybe I'm not, I don't know. Maybe I'm hip, I, I, maybe I'm not, I, I don't know. Here's what I do know. My job, my desire, my calling is to point you to Jesus. Whether that's preaching on a Sunday morning, whether it's a cup of coffee, whether it's praying together, it's to point you 
with Jesus. That's the essential function of pastoral ministry. And because pastoral ministry is an essential function of the local church, I want to take time this morning, like I said, to look at what the Bible tells us about pastoral ministry. And so by the time I'm done, I want to show you kind of the nature of pastoral ministry and why God entrusts pastors or elders to care for his local church. And then I'm going to end basically just talking about what is the eldership going to look like here at Redemption Hill Church. And so I want to take my cue this morning from 1 Peter 5, verses 1 to 4, where we can get a snapshot of what eldership looks like in the local church. If you got your Bible, you can go to 1 Peter 5. We'll just do verses 1 to 4. The text is behind me as well. Here's what God's Word says to us this morning. So I exhort the elders among you, Peter says, as a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If we're going to understand the nature of pastoral ministry, we have to look at the interchangeable terms used in the New Testament to describe the pastorate. We also want to look at the metaphor of shepherd, which is often used to describe pastors in the Bible. Uh, the Apostle Peter is not the only biblical writer to employ this metaphor. So first, here's what I want to do. I'm going to look at these inter- interchangeable terms, and then I'm going to look at that metaphor, and then, and then we're going to look at some of these warnings that Peter gives to elders. So first, interchangeable terms, which are really, really important to understand in order to understand why we believe elders are also pastors in the local church. In Sovereign Grace Churches, which is our denomination, and at Redemption Hill Church, we believe the New Testament uses the Greek words elder and bishop interchangeably. Now, I'm not advocating anyone call me a bishop. Sorry. But they are used interchangeably. I'm going to show you how that functions here. In 1 Peter 5 is case in point. In, in verse Verse 1 of 1 Peter 5, the individuals who are called to, who are entrusted to care for the local church are called elders. Also in verse 2, we read that elders are to exercise oversight to God's flock. And that word, exercise oversight, is episkopos, which is the Greek word for bishop. Peter, like I said, is not the only New Testament author to use these terms interchangeably. In Acts 20, the author Luke also uses the word episcopo to describe eldership, along with the Apostle Paul in Titus 1. So what does this tell us? It tells us that being an elder in a church is not merely sitting on a board making business decisions. What we read is that God entrusts elders to oversee the souls of people in the church. And God entrusts elders to feed and protect God's flock. That's important. 
which leads me to the metaphor of an elder being a shepherd to sheep. In verse 2, 2 Peter calls the elder to shepherd the flock of God. Now, you will not find a Greek word for pastor in the New Testament, but it does come from uh, a Latin word. Um, Latin language was predominant was the predominant language for centuries in, in the church. It is more difficult for us to grasp the profundity of the metaphor of sheep and shepherd than it would have been for first century Christians. Uh, there is an intimacy between sheep and shepherd that often does not exist in our American church context, especially in our mega church celebrity pastor context. You've heard me say it before, and I will say it again, that biblical pastoring means the smell of the sheep are on the shepherd and the smell of the shepherd are on the sheep. It's that kind of intimacy that needs to exist within the context of a local church with an elder and its members. Which means that a pastor is present, not absent from the sheep. A man cannot pastor if he is not present. So what I'm not saying is that a pastor needs to be everywhere all the time. Pastors are not omnipresent. Last time I checked, that is not the reality with me. But if a pastor is going to feed and protect the sheep, he must be with the sheep so that he can know the sheep. How do you care for sheep when you're never around them? How do you care for your family? How do I do that as a husband if I'm not around them? This metaphor is really powerful. I've come to appreciate this metaphor as I've observed my wife and kids engage in agrarian activities. Now, full disclosure, we've never owned sheep, although I'm positive Sharice and the girls would love sheep. They've hinted that way from time to time. But we've had other animals that are dependent upon our care. For example, we've had chickens, and their survival was dependent upon whether Sharice and the girls gave them you know, chicken feet. Without food, they would have died. Uh, further, my stepfather-in-law built Fort, a Fort Knox chicken coop for these chickens, and for good reason, right? There were owls in our yard that were looking for a chicken to fly the coop. And the coop protected them. The goal of shepherding, just to take one metaphor and take another one and combine them together, the goal of shepherding is the same, to feed and protect. Sheep need to be fed all the time and fed with God's word which is why preaching from the Bible at Redemption Hill Church is a priority. Our daily routine should consist of reading from the Bible. Our discipleship of one another needs to center around what the Bible says. In order to be fed, we have to keep our nose in the Bible. And I'm going to keep telling you that. Keep your nose in God's Word. And as a pastor, I want to make sure you're being fed properly. Because empty calories just won't do. You can go somewhere else and hear a lot of noise. But is it feeding your soul? Is it just empty calories? What did Jesus say to Peter in John 21? And I imagine Peter was reflecting on this conversation when he was writing 1 Peter 5. Just listen to this dialogue between Jesus and Peter. And just now that we've read 1 Peter 5, verses 1 to 4, you can see 
where Peter's coming from, what he's reflecting on. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord. I can just imagine his voice rising. Yes, he just asked me the question, Jesus. Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Tend to my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved. Or, I don't know, annoyed. (laughs) Because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Leading in pastoral ministry is feeding. Feeding with the Word of God. That is an expectation that you should have for me. And leading in pastoral ministry is also protecting. In the first century, when shepherds watched over their sheep, they knew that wolves were watching as well. Protection for the sheep means beating back wolves. And we are warned in the New Testament that sometimes wolves get into the sheep pen and pretend to be sheep. The New Testament calls these wolves false teachers or false prophets, Matthew seven fifteen. And so how do pastors protect the sheep from wolves? Let's let's go to Psalm 23 to help us build out this metaphor of shepherd and sheep. Of course, Psalm 23 is about the chief shepherd, Jesus. But I want to show from verses 1 to 4, in particular verse 4, how a shepherd comforts the sheep. Here's just the first four verses, and I'm going to highlight the last part of verse 4. You know this, the Lord is my shepherd, shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you're with me. And here's the part I want you to see for this morning. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, I don't know about you, but I've, since I became a Christian in my early 20s, that psalm has made a huge impact in my life. It's just sitting right here. But it wasn't until two summers ago where I realized the importance of this rod and this staff in the hands of the shepherd. Now, obviously, like I said, Jesus is the chief shepherd, and pastors are the under-shepherd to Jesus. But look at how the shepherd are comforted, right? They are comforted with the rod and the staff. The rod, which is basically this big club, is used to protect the sheep from the wolf. If a wolf gets in and tries to get too close to one of the sheep, the shepherd uses the rod to beat back the wolf. And in this world, there are many wolves. Wolves. 
Oftentimes, the wolves are those who are preaching lies, who are trying to get you to believe lies. So the pastor, the shepherd, takes the word and beats back the wolves with truth. In the other hand of the shepherd is a staff. Staff is used to keep the sheep together. If you're a watch sheep, it's just like it's everywhere. And the staff's like you have to stay together. The staff was used to make sure the sheep are going into the right direction. And when necessary, a shepherd uses the staff to corral a single sheep to provide comfort. So on the one hand, protection means the rod. On the other hand, it's a staff which brings comfort. The calling into pastoral ministry is a call to love, care, comfort, feed, and protect God's flock. The calling into pastoral ministry is not obtaining a seminary degree, although I appreciate and endorse theological education. The calling into pastoral ministry is the calling to be a humble shepherd. Now, in the New Testament, we read that eldership comes with character qualifications. If you were to go to 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, you would see a list of qualifications that are provided. This is what an elder needs to be, and you see this list go down. Um, Part of these qualifications that is that elders need to be men who are able to teach. These two specific qualifications are what distinguishes elders from deacons in the local church. I'm not going to defend that right now, but I'm, going to, I'm simply going to be pointing out these two additional texts in the Bible that are important. So if you want to know more about eldership, go to 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. You read the qualifications. 1 Peter 5, verses 2 and 3 also provides several qualifications and several warnings for men who are called to be elders. Now, I'm going to go through those warnings, but here's my caveat before looking at these qualifications that are coupled with these warnings. Peter is well aware of the battle for holiness and the fight against sin among elders. That's why he's writing this. Elders, just so you know, beware, right? Elders are not perfect, but elders are to be an example to the flock, verse 3 and they are to fight sin, pursue holiness, and be above reproach, Titus 1.7. Eldership is a high calling, and elders need to be the first to repent, the first to forgive, and the first to fight for faith in the gospel. The elder who has made the greatest impact in my life is always the first to repent, the first to forgive, and the first to fight for faith in the gospel. And I'm thankful for that, man. And it's because of indwelling sin, Peter gives warnings and then correction to elders. John Calvin said this about these three warnings. In exhorting pastors to their duty, he points out three vices, especially which are often to be found, namely sloth, desire for gain, and lust for power. So let's kind of go through these warnings and then corrections, right? The first is a warning against sloth or laziness in pastoral ministry. God's word says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, that's the word for bishop again, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. In other words, elders should not need to be coaxed into doing what they're called to do. 
You shouldn't have to get a cattle prod and be like, pasture us, you know? There's no coaxing involved. Exercising oversight of the sheep should not be a burden, but needs to be done willingly. And then I would add, done with joy, Hebrews 13, 7. If joy wanes for a pastor, so will his willingness to oversee God's flock. He will become lazy. Now, it is true that pastoral ministry, like anything else, right, can have its ups and its downs. Uh, Paul says you need to preach in season and out of season because it doesn't go well all the time. But even during the downs, the question can still be asked, is a pastor doing his God-given duty willingly or does it feel like a drudge? I think Peter's point also helps us to see that one should not need to be persuaded into being an elder. The calling into pastoral ministry must be internal and external an internal call from God, and an external confirmation by leaders around that individual. Otherwise, joy will lack, duty will be a judge, and the flock will not be served. Shepherding God's flock should be done willingly and with joy. Peter warns us against, warns me, against laziness. Peter also warns me against being an elder for shameful gain. But instead, I need to serve eagerly. That's also verse 2. A pastor does not serve the church for a paycheck. Instead, he serves for the Lord and does so with eagerness. It is worth noting that many people get into ministry because it, it means earning money. I met a number of people in seminary who wanted to become a pastor, but they did not have the right motives. It only takes a five-minute Google search to read countless examples of how pastors abuse the church by spending money in unnecessary ways for personal gain, right? doesn't take long. When someone serves in the church for shameful gain and not for the Lord, then that is akin to fraud. These situations need to be condemned and financial accountability must be in place in a local church to ensure a pastor does not serve for shameful gain, this church included, which is, I've said this before, I'll say it again, that's what we're working toward as we continue to grow and things get in place. Now, on the other side of the proverbial coin is that an elder should be appropriately compensated. Peter is not saying that an elder should not be paid. Peter, in verse 3, is saying that an elder should not, a person should not pastor for shameful gain. Paul affirms in 1 Timothy, Let the elder who rule, rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You should not muzzle an ox when it treads out its grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. So taken together, we see Peter's point is simple. If money is the motivation for ministry, then guess what? You're not called to ministry. (laughs) If money is the motivation for ministry, then you will not be eager to serve in a manner that honors Christ. Now these, these first two warnings and corrections should be a heart check for anyone pursuing pastoral ministry, or anyone in pastoral ministry, myself included, I'm not excluded from this. Like this, going through this text was wonderful and hard. 
good. So we've got these heart checks, and now in verse 3, the attention kind of shifts from inward motivation to outward behavior. Elders should not be domineering over those in their charge, but they need to be examples to the flock. Pastors, under no circumstances, let me be very clear on this, pastors, under no circumstances, are to use their positions of authority to oppress those under their care. Under no circumstances. Period. Now, pastors do have God-ordained biblical authority to feed, tend, and protect God's flock, yet the exercise of such authority is always a service to God's flock. And it is in an elder's service where he is the example to God's flock. You know, I want to provide one quick plug of why I love being a pastor in our denomination, Sovereign Grace Churches. If there's one distinct value that stands out among others in Sovereign Grace Churches, it's a commitment for elders and pastors to serve. When I first became a pastor, it was almost like annoying. It's like, Everyone's talking about serving everyone else. <laughs> I've never heard this before. And it was refreshing at the same time. If a pastor focuses on serving as Christ served the church, then the temptation to dominate and domineer will be obliterated. A pastor who is domineering is dangerous. A pastor who is domineering is revealing his pride. If you just drop your eyes down to verse 6 of 1 Peter 5, you read the heart, what needs to be the heart of every Christian and pastor. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. For the purpose of this message, every pastor needs to take verse 6 to heart. This verse is always a pride check for me. Quote that one often. Humble yourselves, therefore. Sean, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. For a moment, let's return to the metaphor that a pastor elder is a shepherd. Shepherding in the first century was a lowly position, and it was not an esteemed profession. By its nature, being a shepherd was to be humbled. And yet, because of sin, 21st century shepherding can be done with pride, which is what Peter is warning against. For a pastor to domineer over one sheep is an expression of sin and the sin of pride. Jesus calls his under-shepherds to be better. Jesus calls his under-shepherds to be men defined by humility. Now, I say all this knowing I'm putting myself to the test, right? But that's part of the calling. It's not to run from these things, but it's to run into them. I want to end by talking about eldership at Redemption Hill Church. Eldership at Redemption Hill Church and in Sovereign Grace Churches, like I said already, is a high calling. 
Um, a seminary degree is not a ticket to eldership. Uh, what we read in 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, and 1 Peter 5 has tremendous bearing on a man's calling to pastoral ministry. And theological acumen is also important in our denomination. As a matter of fact, to be an elder in our denomination means going through a significant amount of study, paper writing, written examinations, and oral examinations. Our denomination in this region, as well this region, has an ordination committee to judge elder candidates. And I'm thankful for the rigor and the metrics for eldership because we live in a world where ordinations are given out on the internet like Halloween candy. You want to be ordained? Here you go. You want to be ordained in this church? Sign here. And I'm thankful to be part of a family church as a denomination that takes eldership seriously. I also want to mention, especially as I think about this particular local church and what God's doing right here, I also want to mention a deep desire that I have that eldership at Redemption Redemption Hill Church be a plurality, which is also emphasized in the scriptures. While the calling to eldership is high, God desires a local church to have a plurality of elders. In almost every passage in the New Testament where elders are mentioned, they are mentioned in the plural. Almost every time in the New Testament. I don't take this observation Lightly, I think local churches are better served with a plurality of men who are called and affirmed to be elders. Now, I don't know what that looks like. I don't know when that'll be. But I think it's important to hear my heart behind that. This is not a one-man band. This is not a one-man show. I, I think it's best that a church is served by individuals, several men, who are different thinkers, different perspectives. That's not necessarily theologically, but as we know, life in the world, right? Take one issue. Now, how do three or four people figure out that one issue? I want people around me, and I want to be around other individuals who don't think like me. I think there's strength in that. Now, there are times when a church will have only one elder, like church planning, right? But God does des desire to see men rise up to become elders. And I pray that eldership grows in numbers here at this church in the years ahead. Now, an elder card is not handed out to most men, but God's word does say in 1 Timothy 3.1, the saying is trust, trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, again, bishop, but interchangeable with elder, he desires a noble task. Uh, one final note about being an under-shepherd to the chief shepherd. What is going to foster and sustain a pastor in his love for the church? It's going to do that for me. It is when a pastor kindles his love for Christ. When a pastor kindles his love for Christ, his passion to preach the gospel grows. His love to pray the gospel grows. And his love to display the gospel grows. And his love for the church will only grow. So that is a prayer request that I will, that I will give you is this. May Sean's passion and love for Christ grow.